0: What's up, Videolanders? I'm your host, Brad Hawkins. Quick reminder you can find us on AdventuresInVideoland.com or on our Facebook at AdventuresInVideoland. This year marks the 50th anniversary of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And like anyone else my age, I watched a few episodes, but I wouldn't say I grew up in the neighborhood. Recently, a documentary titled Won't You Be My Neighbor released to critical acclaim. I'll be honest, a documentary about Mr. Rogers didn't sound exciting to me, it wasn't even on my radar. After watching Won't You Be My Neighbor, I couldn't get Fred Rogers out of my head. Currently, it's my favorite film of 2018. I think we need Mr. Rogers' message now more than ever. He encouraged us all to love ourselves. He encouraged us to be helpers, to care for our children, to love our neighbors. But, the elephant in the room. Every documentary has an agenda. I started thinking, was this documentary just a form of hero worship, a Hollywood puff piece, Was Mr. Rogers really a great man? I started digging, trying to find some dirt on Mr. Rogers' saint-like image. I couldn't find anything negative, nothing that swayed my opinion. All I could find were touching stories. I want to share one of those stories. Tonight, I talked with Benjamin Wagner, the real-life neighbor of Mr. Rogers. His documentary, Mr. Rogers and Me, premiered in 2010, eight years before Won't You Be My Neighbor. Benjamin's personal journey confirmed everything I've been hearing in 2018. Mr. Rogers was a great man, and good people do exist. Please welcome Benjamin Wagner. Welcome to Videoland, Ben. Hey, man. Thank you. Great to be here. So, Fred Rogers has been in the spotlight lately. It's the 50th anniversary of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Tom Hanks is starring in a Mr. Rogers movie, and the documentary Won't You Be My Neighbor is critically acclaimed. So what are your thoughts, man, on this recent Mr. Rogers movement?
1: Uh, you know, I, I feel like um, I've been party to an ongoing movement, and by that I say, again, party to, like, present at, not driving, but just sort of on this on this wave. So um, first, I've watched all the ebb and flow and the sort of rise and fall and the moments, and... I've seen how different moments in culture have driven different types of interest and saw this one coming, um, you know, because I kind of play along at home, if you will. So, I mean, it's just great news, right? Like, who's got any um, beef with conversations around depth, simplicity, meaning, values? I mean, I don't anyway, so I think it's great short answer i think it's great
0: yeah you were really ahead of the curve man Uh, you've been spreading the mr rogers message since at least since at least 2010 that's when you premiered your documentary mr rogers and me do you think people are more open to his message of love and kindness now than they were a decade ago
1: uh maybe i you know i don't know um i gotta be honest i i wanted to um begin telling you know when i when i um him in 2001, on Nantucket, I, you know, gave me a tour of his of his house there, and I literally called my brother, who's a, um, a video editor, and, and he and I both work in in and around television. And I, I was like, if we could just show people that Mr. Rogers is in regular life, just the same as real life, it would be so great if we could just ask him to give us a tour of his house, like he did me, and have that conversation that we did. And I, um. I uh, for weeks and weeks wrote myself some months wrote myself a note on my like to-do list at, at the office I'll call Mr. Rogers email Mr. Rogers and and I didn't and he passed away Man. and so to be honest with you it was on my sort of mind to capture that experience from the outset um, I mean from literally the day I met him you know and it took us um, a couple of years after he passed away I felt appropriate for there to be some kind of statute limitations before you, you know, call his family and say, hey, I have this idea, you know. Um, and so I, I, I felt it immediately. And um, my hope is that, you know, all of these um, efforts just continue to um, foster a conversation around these values, around, you know, the best in all of us.
0: And that's a beautiful piece of property in Nantucket. Uh, would you say that uh, his small little cottage there is a monument to his personality?
1: I wouldn't call it a monument, but I would say it was a reflection of the values of you know the core the core pillars of deep and simple. As we discuss them, are you know sort of being wary of material. In other words, not getting sort of caught up in in material acquisition and gain. Uh, being a part of a community, which that part of the island, and certainly that whole island is, um, and taking time to pause and reflect on the regular end. A place like that, which is, I mean, you can't see anything but sea and sky and sand and and dune, it's difficult not to be reflective and to, to think about meaning and why we're here and how we can be better for each other and all that stuff you know so in insofar as it it reflected that stuff absolutely it was um, a reflection of him and his values
0: yeah that's a perfect replacement word uh, we will use replacement over <laughs> or reflective <laughs> over monument uh, but yeah. you have, you have a very unique story mr rogers was really your neighbor so tell us about the first time you met mr rogers and the impact that he's had on your life
1: yeah, so this began i, I was a Blogger, if you remember that word back in the day, and <laughs> this began in me writing a, a short piece for a book. And um, one of the things I always contrasted is you, you can do you can get to Nantucket two ways: you can take the ferry, or you can you can fly. And I take. Uh, that time of year, at the time I was working in MTV News, was always super duper busy, and so like, your BlackBerry, if you remember those pre-iphone, pre-android, my BlackBerry was just blowing up. It was a super busy time, and I remember standing on the back patio watching the sunset, listening to the wind, but but still being tethered to sort of that fast-paced New York City, kind of vacuous, just. I'd gone out there that weekend on purpose to meet him. My mother had said, "You gotta. You never believe who I met. You should come meet him." I told him what you do. Blah blah blah. So I'm out there on the back porch answering emails. I mean, you know, it's like being on top of Everest answering emails. You shouldn't do that. You know what I Like, <laughs> you should pause and be like, "It's unbelievable here. I'm just going to soak it in." But no, you're answering emails. <laughs> and um, he walked up and said, um, "Is the birthday boy here?" And it was just me and him. And it was, you know, imagine how surreal that would
2: be, oh, wow, right? Yeah.
1: Um, and so that's that's kind of the instant. I mean, honestly, from that instant forward, um, and he said we talked for a second he said you guys should come over for lemonade tomorrow i mean lemonade of yeah, course, that's awesome. right? um, and um, i was about to put out a record at the time and so i brought my guitar over um, and played him a couple songs and he gave me a tour of the house and um, as i say in the film on i mean it's all there you know on the back porch we talked about um, his friend bo lozoff who was um, who he, with whom he had spoken quite a bit about deep and simple Who was about to do a fast and it starts there, you know, and it starts with my, you know, I was always kind of ambivalent about what I did at at MTV News. I love the, I love pop culture, particularly how music can be so meaningful in a young person's life, and it certainly wasn't mine. But, you know, the channel puts out some garbage, and so I was really uncomfortable with that, and so we talked about it, you know, and that's kind of, that's kind of where it kicks off.
0: And you actually played some of your music for Mr. Rogers at his house in Nantucket, you know, what, yeah. what was that experience like man
1: <laughs> um well you know he was a really and his wife joanna are really accomplished musicians in there all right um she is a concert pianist he's, um, um a, a pianist as well as and a performer as well um so there was that there was the sort of knowledge that this guy knows what he's doing. I mean, he had, you know, 30 years of shows with Johnny Costa and all that under his belt, but also you just kind of look up and you're like, "Whoa!" at the same time I have played music for enough years at that point that it, it is what it is. Um, what is only subtexted in the version of the film that you've seen is that the song I played from him for him was a, for a record called crash site. Now, if you do the math, Rally. it was september 4th and 5th of 2001 that i wow. met him so six days later is september 11th and i live in new york city yeah, i was wow. about to put out a record called crash site with a plane crashing on the front because for years i'd had nightmares about planes crashing that uh, you know sort of the nickel anti psychotherapy suggested was about um my unconscious sort of manifesting the fact that I'd flown back and forth between my parents in the Midwest and the Northeast for years and years and years, which is roughly in the film, but the version you've probably seen, which is the theatrical version is missing some of the footage that supports it. Um, so we couldn't license everything for Amazon, iTunes, etc. So the theatrical version actually has him, um, doing a show on divorce with Susan Sandberg in which he talks about how kids are sometimes afraid to fly. X-Man, right? So, a couple of days later, September, so I played him a song called Crash and a song called Summer's Gone from a couple of days later I'm on my way to the post office to put postcards in the mail because that's what she did to promote a record back then and, um, um, I look up and um, you know, the towers are, are, are burning, are, are smoking Right at that point, and so it, it really does all connect in a crazy way, and I'll, I'll, and I'll end the story, or this part of the story here, which is, um, I was going to put out that record on September 25th, 2001, and I thought to myself, you can't Put that right. It's a plane crash on yeah, the front right. Yeah. So I re-recorded it. I th- I literally asked myself, "What would Mister Rogers do?" I re-recorded it, um, changed the lyrics a little bit the single, um, and put it out as a benefit. And on the night that would have been the album release, I did a benefit show and gave money to the United Way. And at that benefit show, I get off stage at a place called the Mercury Lounge, still there in New York City, and the bartender said, "Oh, somebody called for you." He said his name was Fred Rogers, and he said, good luck.
2: Wow, now,
0: that is come awesome. come on, man.
1: You know, like, that's bananas. You know, Fred Rogers called the Mercury Lounge to say good luck. So um, it's just real and crazy, even me telling it to you, because most, I don't always, I mean, this kind of detail, you can't put in a 57-minute, you know, Amazon uh, iTunes version of the movie. Um,
0: yeah, that's awesome. It, I'm glad you shared that story. pretty cool. Yeah, I'm glad you shared that story, because I didn't know about that. That's, that's amazing. Yeah.
1: It goes really deep, which is one of the things I, I, you know, one of the things I find is once you start to seek the connections, right, like you end up um, discovering that things are more connected than um, than you'd previously thought, and usually there's much more meaning to things than you might have previously thought.
0: Exactly. I have a uh, quote here, actually, from Mr. Rogers. He said, I would cry through my fingers and I would make up songs on the piano, so you know, yeah. could you relate to Mr. Rogers using music to cope with life since your record was pretty much influenced by your parents' divorce, correct?
1: Oh, for sure. Like, I mean, to be honest with you, it's funny. I'm actually going into the studio tomorrow. <laughs> oh, wow, cool. And, I mean, I'm 46 years old, and and um, I wouldn't say that the songs are that closely connected because at this point that's pushing, you know, 16, 17 years ago. Um, hopefully I'm dealing with other stuff. But, yeah, man, like, I think most art, I mean, I don't want, I don't, like, what do I know, man? In my experience and most art is an expression of stuff that is below the surface right yeah and the stuff's only below the surface until you have a conversation about it with somebody that you trust and so yeah i mean i and you know i didn't know that about him i didn't know anything about his childhood when i met him i didn't know anything about um you know his experiences, quote-unquote fat freddy as amy hollings will share with me i didn't know anything about him using music as a coping mechanism but it just goes to my previous point right which is that once you get below the surface you start to find out uh, a how connected things are and b um how deep things are and c how universal things are like most of us have a pretty similar coping mechanism right like for most of us find some way i think i don't know i've only been me but to to, to, to manage through some of the challenges like uh, in our lives whether it's creative expression or some other kind of, uh, of mechanism to sort of let that stuff um, find its way out.
0: So Mr. Rogers told you to spread the message that deep and simple is far more essential than shallow and complex. So did you have full understanding of that message during that time in your life?
1: No, 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 no.
0: Because <laughs> you were 30, I mean, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, barely. I mean, I turned 30 a couple of days days uh, that day. Yeah. Uh, um, no, I... Um, have always been more interested i mean I was not you know I was not i don't know I don't know how to put this I've often been interested in trying to figure it out whatever it is you know um why are we here, what am I doing am I spending my time well um, what what is the subtext to to whatever I'm experiencing um uh, how can I be stronger, smarter tomorrow than I was today? I, I don't know why. It even sounds corny sharing it with you right now, frankly. Um, but that's just how I'm cut. So um, it intuitively made some sense to me. I mean, I certainly think, I, I certainly hope I was, I've was. i been interested in, like, depth, right, versus sort of vacuous, shallow stuff. Um, but no, it was really, it's one of the reasons why, I mean, you know, we said we hit the road if you will right it's like okay well let's unpack this what what the, the, that was really the quest right um how, and what did he specifically mean and insofar as he was referencing Bo's book deep and simple um what did Bo mean and what what i knew intuitively what i knew from that conversation is that he was talking about um again meaning a what what, what if you ask my brother and i what movie we were really making it was more about um Modern culture and and historical faith and religion and and sort of what values cross all denominations now I don't think that's what the average bear gets out of watching our movie and that's fine <laughs> um, But to us it goes back to those three things right like if you put all the good books next to each other um, Usually the sort of core competency or the core values of being a human in the world Are like are you a part of a community and are you contributing to and are you playing a role? um are you being cognizant of the fact that like, acquisition of stuff isn't really what it's all about? It's probably not going to get you very far. You know, most people who get uh, sucked into that pursuit don't find themselves any richer existentially than had they not. And then the idea of like pausing and reflecting and just being, you know, some might call it prayer or some might call it meditation. So to me that was the quest and that's what we ended up getting and that ends up being what um, the sort of through line is across all of those interviews um, is how do you inculcate those three sort of dynamics into your day to day not like in some dogma just I mean I don't know like I, I don't think dogmatic life. I'm just a guy like you, you listen to me I mean I'm just a guy like you but um, how do you find ways to be like hey I'm just gonna notice that the I don't know the stars are out and that's beautiful and instead of just blowing right through it because you're busy looking at your screen you know
0: yeah I love that part of the documentary too where uh, you interview Bo uh, Lowsoff. Uh, it just shows Mr. Rogers' range because uh, he was a Presbyterian minister, yet he shared the ideas of like this modern-day mystic, you know. Totally. Yeah. Could you talk about their relationship a little bit, and your relationship with uh, Bo Lozoff? Yeah, yeah. Um.
1: Um. I mean, I, I frankly think Chris and I could have spent. I mean, we could spend our careers um, pursuing the connections that Fred made in the world, and. I mean, I know he was friends with a guy named Henry Nguyen, who was a, a serious a theologian. I frankly think we just scratched the surface there. The reason I knew about Bo is because literally Bo was head. He, he had just talked to Bo that night, and Bo was heading into a 40-day retreat of silence. Imagine that. Like oh, wow. a reflection, right? 40 days of silence, you know, in our culture. Yeah, that's,
0: that's amazing. And,
1: yeah it's pretty impressive so um you know his friendship with Bo, his relationship was that he um he purchased books from Bo's um non-profit pretty regularly including one that Bo written called deep and simple um with the, the the forward for deep and simple's by the dalai lama and you know, Bo's passed away um my relationship with him is like i mean i just tried to learn from him and i i, I kept up with him and i asked him to um to uh, preside over my um, wedding ceremony with my wife I would have asked Fred Rogers and Bo knew it if Fred were still around and whether he would have said yes or not I don't know but you bet your bottom dollar I would ask Um, you know but I think Bo was one of many again I don't think the denomination was the point to him I don't think Presbyterian, Catholic, Buddhist whatever was the thing again I think it was about the core values of like are you reflective are you a part of your community? Are you aware of material? And I'm, P.S., I'm not trying to beat the dead horse there, but I don't think the dogma was the thing. I think the sort of center was the thing. You know, like, what you're grounded in. And I think that's what Bo was grounded in.
0: Yeah, so do you think that their deep uh, deep and simple message has become more important as you've gotten older then that you've shared with your family?
1: Man, I, I you know, uh, my kids aren't quite old enough to sit through Mr. Rogers and me. They've seen the beginning. Not, I meant be happy for them too. I just don't think they'd be interested in watching a bunch of grown ups talk. Um, they know who he is because I've not frankly allowed them to watch a wide range of television. I've basically said if you want to watch Daniel, if you want to watch Mr. Rogers, Super why, some of the shows Daniel you know, Santa who does Daniel has done. I don't know. I try and keep an eye uh, um, on that stuff for them, but you know, for me, yeah, like it it gave me language for work that i was already doing and i hope and gave me um a place in a discussion that is important to me i guess you know um i mean i'm just honestly dude i'm just glad i'm still able to have it um at this point to your point eight years after the film premiered and you know 12 years after we started shooting um because it's other than being a dad and being a husband, nothing has mattered more to me. Like, literally, there's nothing I've done. I've got 20 records on Spotify. There's nothing I've done that I'm more proud of. And in some ways, I just was the numbskull who, you know, got his brother to walk next to him and, like, <laughs> shoot these interviews. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't mean to sell myself short because he and I worked really hard to have it make sense and try and figure out how to end it and all that stuff. Um, But you know, it was a—it's a pretty good way to spend um, a couple of years of free time. (laughs) And my brother, God bless him, he like I wasn't yet married and I didn't have kids yet, as you know from the end of the movie. My brother had all these little kids. You know, he was (laughs) running around making a movie with me on weekends. So, but you know, it's absolutely. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if deep and simple and what's going on with Fred is a, is a sort of countervailing force to what's happening with this sort of polarization in, in culture. I, I, my hunch is some version of it would have happened anyway, because we tend as humans to look to time as markers. So 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50th anniversary, all that stuff. But of course something's going on in the zeitgeist say, some people to say, Hey, remember, like at the end of the day, you know, you and I pull on our right sock first and our left sock second or whatever. We're just people with feelings and fears and hopes and when we can get to that, like when I walk down the street with my girls, I I, uh, and I'll stop here Bradley, but like my kids will veer into, you know, they don't know left from right or who's supposed to walk on what side of the sidewalk and I'll be like, guys, look out for our neighbors, you know. In New York, everybody's in such a hurry and everybody's walking. So I try and just let them think of the people around them as their neighbors like we're all in this together doesn't no matter what you look like what you sound like how you're dressed what you believe in like at the end of the day it's a pretty finite speck floating in space you know um so i, I minimally that's kind of where i try and ground them and kind of where i try and live
0: no that's awesome so after fred roger's death in 2003 you and your brother you guys set out on this deep and simple journey Uh, You started filming Mr. Rogers and Me. You talked with uh, Meet the Press host um, Tim Russert, Arthur creator Mark Brown, I'm proud of you author uh, Tim Madigan. That's just to name a few there. Uh, Did the interviews describe the man that you met in Nantucket?
1: I mean, yeah, they described him, right? Um, Everybody, I mean, I haven't met a person who didn't say a version of what we tried to characterize. Um, And usually it was... um, some version of how authentic and real and approachable and human and loving and warm and safe one felt with him um, to a person. And I still you know I mean I, I, I got uh, three or four emails and and Facebook messages today about the movie. I mean, I do most days. and um, one out of every twenty met him, you know in some capacity at a book signing or a you know children's day or whatever. You know, I get that to a person. At the same time, you know, and it's funny, I in, in storytelling, you want to show, not tell, right? So at the same time, people telling you what somebody is like is not the same as um, experiencing them. And so I'm cognizant of that being a shortcoming, and that's really a shortcoming in the versions of the film that are available publicly right now. Occasionally, I will send people the link to what we call the director's cut because it has 20 minutes more footage oh, okay. that is almost... It's almost all um, his show, including some very, very rarely seen episodes, including one where he is on Nantucket. So you see him talking, um, with and Millie about growing up on Nantucket and you see him in his element out there. So really, and you see him, as I said, talking to Susan Stamberg about divorce. So, you know, people's descriptions only go so far versus one's behavior, but, um, there's no inconsistency in terms of how people described him, um, or what he stood for, or what he, what he was trying to do, or just how present he was, which is kind of all you can ask for in um, somebody, right? Exactly. Like, it's yes. hard to be present.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think your documentary is, is very special because it was ahead of the curve by, what, almost a decade. Was there ever anything, though, like, uh, that you were worried about ruining Fred Rogers', like, saint-like image? Were you concerned about what would happen if you pulled up any dirt on him?
1: No, I mean, you know, I think the new film surfaces some of this stuff, like particularly this sort of urban myth about him being a sniper or something, or a SEAL or something like that, that we had talked about. Chris and I just decided when we made it to just be like, you know, we're not going to pay any credence to that stuff because it's so absurd. Um, But that's the only discussion I remember. I mean, mostly it just felt like we couldn't possibly – um, get, and I mean, the, you know, to my previous point, you could talk to a thousand people and you still couldn't possibly paint the portrait that you wanted to paint. So at a certain point, we're just two dudes, no budget. We had no outcome when we started making the movie. In other words, I didn't license it to PBS or or, or iTunes or Amazon or anything like that. I We just made the movie because we believed that in the story, we believed that the values mattered. And we as humans wanted to be a part of that kind of storytelling so um no we i, I wouldn't say we worried about it i mean had we found it maybe that'd have been a thing but it wasn't the only thing was that that urban um urban legend you know
0: yeah so what, what was and, the biggest surprise that you learned about fred rogers then
1: <laughs> you know i it i don't i don't it's hard to remember to be honest with you um I, I think probably the moment that was the sort of most uh, goosebump-inducing was literally watching footage of him. So to back it up a little bit, like, I didn't have a grand plan for this, man. I'm a guy who had a full-time day job at MTV News, <laughs> with a brother who's got a full-time job as an editor making TV shows. He cuts The Daily Show. He cuts NBA, Indy 500, whatever, right? Like, we're doing real, like, day-to-day work. Yeah, yeah. And so in in part, it was like, we were just cobbling ideas together, right? Like, I got I got um, Joanne Mrs. Rogers' permission, and then I got the company's permission, and mostly it was like, oh, well, I know that Tim Russert knew him because I, I read an article by Tim Russert's wife, Maureen Orth, in the Nantucket paper, so maybe we should try and interview him. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then it was like, well, as long as we're in D.C., we should talk to someone at NPR because they're deep and simple, and a friend of mine worked there in New like, new season stanberg i had no idea when we interviewed Susan stanberg that she had done shows with him dude wow. and i had no idea that she had done a show on divorce with him and i had no idea that in that show on divorce they talked about the very thing that messed me up the most when my parents divorced which is the fact that i was a nine and ten year old flying by himself between both parents one in the east coast and one in the midwest and how traumatic that was right so for me it's that kind of serendipity and that kind of like peeling back the onion to find that there was this really profound connection like i had told fred about my parents again it's in the movie but you know he didn't go oh you know i did an episode on divorce back in the 80s yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know it was it was much more um mysterious and accidental but that's what Makes, like, that's why a journey becomes revealing and interesting, you know? So, for me, there were no surprises except that, you know, the there was there. It was corroborated a thousand percent that the authenticity that I experienced was the real deal. But these moments where you were like, you know, <laughs> or where he was talking about um, um, how little kids think that the television is the real life and that you get stuck inside the TV know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Like, those moments are just so prescient and substantive and meaningful but for me it was really i mean when i watched that footage i literally picked up the phone and i was like you know midnight i was like chris you'll never believe the footage i just screened you know (laughs) that was that was probably the the moment where it really just felt like something bigger was at play i mean you know there was a hand guiding us
0: um that was awesome what was the what was the first interview where you're like this is amazing like we have we have uh, the golden ticket now man
1: dude the first interview was tim lester i mean so this guy who you know interviews heads of state you know who has interviewed the pope who literally is at that time nbc news premier you know next to maybe tom brokaw premier interviewer is i mean i, I had done interviews before in my in my day job but not um and we, I'd had proximity to presidents, but I didn't do the interviews. You know, I would produce or do digital stuff. But So it was Tim Russer, and um, uh, and it was pretty awesome. And we also had a pretty tight window with him. Somebody like Tim Russer, they don't say, oh, as much time as you need, right? You have like a 15- a or 20-minute window. And the whole pitch every time we did an interview was it's just me and my brother we will be in and out in one hour. <laughs> and you know, sometimes it was, but sometimes it wasn't. But what? by the time they've talked to you, they don't really care because you've developed a rapport. But it was Tim. It was Tim. Um, Linda Ellerbee was an awesome interview. They all were. I mean, you know, you see in the movie how literally one day we look in the paper on the internet or whatever and see what um, Tim Madigan's going to be two blocks away from my brother's apartment talking about his new book, I'm Proud of You, about Mr. Rogers. I mean, can't make this stuff up it just happened it just was like you know serendipity i didn't make the movie like morgan neville did where i had a treasure trove of archival footage and access to the crew and cast we just were cobbling together like well what if we talk to this person what if we talk to that person but everything connected you know
2: yeah i mean i'm
1: I'm getting excited sharing it with you because i don't talk about it all that much anymore Not like this so um it, it really is pretty, pretty awesome when you when you kind of uh,
0: unpack it. You know, and I've only watched uh, will not You Be My Neighbor once. I don't think there's a lot of the same interviews between you two, are there. I, I can't even remember it was Tim Madigan in won't no. You Be My neighbor? I, I, the only shared footage that I'm aware of,
1: um, Fred and I was standing is the interview that Amy Hollings were shared with us, which is Amy uh, worked at the time, um, Amy, who continues to be a dear friend as this Tim. Um worked at the time for um, the Seven Hundred Club. I don't think it was I think she worked for the network, whatever the network was CBN. And she did one of the only interviews with Mr. Rogers on his faith explicitly. And so that footage is is gold for anybody who's really looking into the deeper sort of philosophical and um, liturgical um, thinking behind his work.
0: You know, and we we just talked about, it, but both Mister Rogers and "Won't You Be My Neighbor," Mister Rogers and me, and "Won't You Be My Neighbor" share some of that same footage, and they both end with a moment of reflection that I thought was very interesting. So, what are your thoughts on the similarities uh, similarities between both of these documentaries, especially that moment of reflection at the end?
1: I, you know, I, I can only tell I two thoughts. One, um, I can tell you the moment I because it was hard to know where to how to end it, right and um, There was something about turning... So I was jogging in Central Park, and that's where it occurred to me. And I could tell you where I was in the park because I remember it clear as a bell. And um, the idea that, oh, we have to hand it back to whoever's watching and say, okay, you spent 70 minutes with us thinking about this stuff. So what are you going to do differently? Because I can tell you what I did differently, right? I met him. I pursued the story. Um, My day-to-day is... Is markedly different. Um, how I approach being a dad, how I approach becoming a husband. I'm not sure. You know, I I, I, I think Mr. Rogers helped me be, be capable of being a husband and a dad, right? So, okay, okay so there, so how do I hand? How do we hand it back to the audience to say, "What are you going to do?" And and what you do doesn't necessarily have to be seismic. It has to be incremental because if everybody shifts some modicum some percent then maybe we can all shift you know the conversation dramatically so i guess that's my first thought was i remember very clearly how that came to me and part of it was just channeling him and saying well how what would he do here another thing i would say is i don't know how else you end um this kind of thing where again you could be exhaustive you could do 12 hours but ultimately i think for a person who valued and this is one of the reasons I think he loved Nantucket, because it, particularly where he, he lived uh, uh, in the summers out there on the west side, it's so quiet. And part of what we were exploring in the movie is the fact that culture is increasingly noisy. And so how do we carve out space to not I – and mean, listen, man, I love headphones. I play music all the time. But how do we find the space? I, I couldn't write a song if I always had headphones on, right? How do you find the space to be creative, to be reflective, um, to you know, give your soul the nourishment that it needs? So it's funny, tonight, um, my girls said to me, i who's my six-year-old, I was like, Daddy, I want an iPad. And I was like, sure, I know. And one of them asked me something like, why can't we have it in the car, for real? And I was like, well, oh, because they're commuting to and they, they take a bus at day camp. And I said, and some of the other kids get devices. And I said, you guys, I really think it's important to look out the window and use your imagination and look at the scenery and to read books. And, you know, you can't get that if you're not being reflective. So my hunch is that, you know, I don't know how, I don't know Morgan Neville, I had nothing to do with this, this newer one, but my hunch is that whether or not he was inspired, which I doubt, but at the end of the day, it's just like, well, how else do you honor a man who was about reflection other than saying, let's reflect. I mean, it was a genius ending on Mr. Rogers Me, so I'm sure it was homage, but...
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful ending, man. I was I was in tears by the end of it, just just thinking, you know, the people who have helped us, you know, it's just, it's, it's amazing.
1: Well, I mean, and he handed it to us, right? Like, I mean, he said it, I just thought to myself, oh, of course, I'll watch The Time, like, it's great, it was, I mean, it wrote itself, he handed it to us, but... Yeah, and he, he did that. He did that often. He didn't just do that at those Emmy Awards. He apparently did that at, at graduations quite frequently. And unless somebody says, hey, let's pause for a second. Like the only place that happens is church, really. Yeah, you know? so, exactly. And P.S., I have been in church in 30 years. So yeah. like, uh, but, uh, but at the same time, when somebody says, hey, why don't you think about this a minute? I'll give you a minute. Like, that's just gold. You know, here's permission and here's a topic. Fill your soul up, you know, that's just, that's it's so, stuff. it's
0: so beautiful. Cause you, like you said, man, the hustle and bustle of life, you know, you, you just lose track of time, man. You lose, yep. it's, it's hard to just stop and, and just focus, put focus on the yep. people that, you know, have developed you and loved you. And it's, yeah. it's an exercise that we all need to do. And it's, it's nice to be reminded whether it's your documentary or, you know, won't you be my neighbor? I think it's a, it's just a perfect ending and you know, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a perfect way to end uh, both documentaries, oh, especially yours. Um, Thank you.
1: I'm, I'd be honest. I got you know, like I said, I can tell you where I was. You know, that's the funny thing about imagination and ideas, right? You also need to give them room, right? If yeah. you're crowding your brain with distraction, you know, you don't really have room to come up with ideas. And so um, that's one of the reasons why I love running because it you know gives you time to just uh, let your soul breathe a little bit. And it's not the exercise I care about it. I mean, that doesn't hurt at my age, but the idea of like, let's just think a second, you know.
0: Yeah. And so where do you even start, man, in making a documentary like Mr. Rogers and Me? I mean, you probably viewed hours of old clips and episodes and that's uh, like you said, man, you had a you had a day job. Your brother had a day yeah. job and kids, you know? So where do yeah. you where do you even begin to outline this thing?
1: Well, you know, as I said, we didn't really. I mean, I wish I could tell you otherwise.
0: But you still had to do the research, right? And and find the people? Yeah, absolutely. I
1: mean, the fact is I watched anything I could get my hands on. I read everything I could get my hands on. I spent time in libraries, on the internet. Um, You know, the Fred Rogers Company was was great about, um, you know, they didn't have they're a small company, so they didn't have a ton of time to share a ton of stuff with me, but they were great about, like, when I said I would love this episode and that episode, they worked with me to get that stuff. They worked with me on rights for stuff. Um, but the truth is, it really was, unlike, um, I don't know, like a research paper where you go to the library and there's sort of a universe. I mean, does anyone do that anymore? But, you know, like a universe of available resources. It wasn't that way. It was more like... Um, I don't know, a board game where you went from position A to position B to position C and each next step led to the next step. And frankly, the way we told the story, the sort of different people we talked to, because we, I mean, my brother's a pretty sophisticated editor. Like most people wouldn't have cut that that way. They wouldn't have did it one, cut it one interview at a time. But we were trying to show how it unfolded and kind of opened up like a flower blooming or something like how each person led to another person. Um, because that's kind of how it worked, you know? I mean, frankly, we, we, you know it was um bo right up front it was um amy early and amy on amy had written the book and done tons of tons of work on you know his uh, spiritual life so it was really step by step i mean because we were doing other things at the same time it was like hey i heard his sweaters at the smithsonian let's clear the smithsonian you know and then it, hey we're outside the smithsonian we should do man on the street interviews with people you know it was really that organic um and, and in fact the dc that the smithsonian trip was separate from the trip down to see tim and and susan which was another one so i mean it was like fred had been given an award by um a, a senator in iowa so we tried to get him I and mean, it was that kind of thing you know and that didn't work out and you know what that shouldn't have worked out it wasn't central um but it was much more organic um i mean honestly if chris and i make another movie. Um, we wouldn't do it the same way. <laughs> you know, it was, it was maddening. It was like, um, I mean, it was like a puzzle, you know, and maybe that's how it always is. I don't know. I haven't done enough to know, but, um, it was not easy.
0: <laughs> how much footage did you shoot, man?
1: Oh gosh. I, it's funny. I'm, you know, so I live in, I'm, I live in a little apartment in New York with my family and I'm sitting in my bedroom and over my shoulder shoulders are and It's all in there. Um, I haven't, I mean, I have no idea, honestly. Um, we shot lots and lots of interview footage that you didn't see but you've seen all the folks we talked to I think the only interviews that we shot that we didn't use were we shot at the Pittsburgh um, Children's Museum where a lot of his um a lot of the components from his set are archived and we shot at a place called the um superhero gosh, 826's headquarters in Brooklyn um, because they do deep and simple work but we pulled both of those because they didn't feel central but I don't know I'm I, I, hundreds of hours you know because oh, wow. we shot everything I mean if we drove from here to Pittsburgh which we did twice oh, um, you know we shot most of it
0: wow and how uh, so how long did you shoot because he passed away in 2003 did you start filming pretty much right away or did you say like a year after
1: I think I I don't remember exactly, so forgive me. But we—I know I sent Mrs. Rogers a letter, Joanne, a letter. Uh, it was not with—it was definitely over a year after okay. he passed away because I didn't know he was gonna. I mean, very few people knew he was unwell. He died pretty young, you know, uh, and it was pretty sudden especially for someone who was as healthy as he was i mean my mother met him on nantucket because he was going to swim he swam every day like a mile and this guy when my mom met him was in his early 70s you know so he was super fit his weight didn't fluctuate a ton um it's just he had a you know random cancer so he passed away pretty quickly and i heard it on national public radio like everybody else or the news like everybody else
0: does his wife Uh, does his wife still own that property out there in nantucket
1: you know, my understanding is—it's funny. My mom's out there right now. Um, my understanding is that she, in fact, she's told me this—that she doesn't go there so much anymore. That her his boys do, um, that they that they like to go out there, but that it was not a, it was never really her thing in the same way that it was his. Um, and so, since he passed away, my understanding from her is that um, the boys go, and the boys, of course, are <laughs> grown men with with families, uh, and they go out there.
0: Was there anything that was left out that you wish was still in that in your documentary?
1: (laughs) I wish we had enough footage to leave stuff out. The only thing that I wish was in there uh, on Amazon and iTunes and on the DVD is the footage that I've described to you. There was a bunch more um, of his show that illustrated him. So, you know, let's say, um, um, you know, Susan Stamberg would talk about the fish and how he would never cut it fish open and leave it on the table he would explain to you what happened to fish right we literally would have that episode you know so in the theatrical version which we screened at all the film festivals um it's 20 minutes longer and you know in, like i said in all great storytelling the edict is show don't tell in the version that is available to the public right now it's way more tell than i would like um so you know it, it's fitting isn't it that if you ask me what footage i'd like to show it's like more of him on the show right yeah. like Nothing's better. Seeing someone, saying, having someone explain to you what made him so effective and then showing him be effective is awesome. You know, as opposed to just somebody saying how effective he was. So that's the stuff that I wish was in there. But, um, you know, rights are rights and certain stuff
0: had, um had been committed to other places. Yeah. When I emailed you uh, about a week or two ago, I said I wanted to talk to you because I thought your film has been overshadowed. And you said there was plenty of room for Mr. Rogers documentaries, which is a very Mr. Rogers thing to say, I think. So, <laughs> so with all the Mr. Rogers content available, is there anything that you feel it hasn't been explored?
1: You know, I, 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 I don't, I mean, I don't, it's a good question, it's a great question, man. Um, I don't know, because, I mean, my hunch is... Uh, anybody's life could be particularly somebody who's impactful and who, I mean, this guy was on, this guy made substantive television for 30 years and even the phrase substantive television is its own anomaly. And P.S. man, like I was watching something with my wife when I, you know, um, uh, came in here to talk with you. So like, I'm not poo-pooing the medium wholesale, but generally speaking, you know, it's mostly, um, you know, sound and fury signifying nothing. So uh, I I would suspect so. Um, My bet is he... I mean, uh, I'll I'll paint a picture for you. Do you know the artist Chuck Close? He's a downtown New York artist. He does portraits that are kind of large pointillism. So they're big, big canvases. And if you're really close to them, they just look like geometry. But if you move back, you see that they're portraits of uh, self-portraits or of John Cage or whatever. And in my mind, the poster, if I had unlimited resources for Mr. Rogers and me, would be, if you were close, it would be millions of photos of humans, just individuals. And if you zoomed out, those individuals would be the pixels that made up his face. Because in my experience, everybody has a story, not everybody, many, 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 many people have a story about how he touched them, either in real life, or by virtue of his work. So my hunch is you could sort of put a mosaic together of real world stories of people who had been moved by him or had a story an experience just like mine. And I so anyway, um, to your, to your question, I, I think there are probably hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of versions of this story. Um, and I've read many of them, right. Where, you know, I wrote him cause he can't, he wrote back to everybody, to everybody. Think about that. It's inconceivable, you know, um, so, just imagine the the, the the impact of all that personal attention, you know.
0: You know, big what if here, but if Mr. Rogers was still alive, what's that one question you would ask him?
1: Oh, good question. But I'll tell you that I would ask him a super personal question. I, I would like if I knew now, and if I knew our time was as finite as it was, because I didn't know that, I also didn't know I didn't know I'd spend the next seventeen years talking about it. I would be like, Am I doing the right thing? How am I doing? Like, I would be, I would, I would be like, you are a wise man. (laughs) (laughs) I would be like, I would just be much more explicit, I think. I mean, which sounds, I don't know, maybe needy and that's fine. But, and my hunch is he would be supportive and esoteric and not super prescriptive because, you know, we're, most of us are just doing the best that we can do, um, but I would probably ask him something like that, or like, "Hey, what should I do different with my girls now that you've met them?" Or you know, yeah, like, yeah. Um, "Am I is this job better than the last job? Am I doing the right thing now? Like, should I quit everything and you know pour myself into these three core values?" And I don't know. I did. I can't tell you the exact question, but it'd be around that
0: energy. Yeah. Should I which, go? Which was should I go fast for forty days? <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. You know, I, I kind of think in part one of the reasons, Bo. And it's funny, Bo and I had a really deep conversation the morning I got married. We sat down and we talked about this. And I mean, I think part of the challenge of being a person who cares about these things and and my hunch is, I mean, I know that Mr. Rogers did, is that, you know, it's a pursuit, right? Like, meaning is a pursuit. It's not like a destination. You don't get there and you're good. You get there and you discover that there's another there, you know, and that's frustrating. But it's also like, um, I don't know, kind of like, A relief to know that I'm not sure there is a moment where you're like, oh, I've reached Oz and I've figured it out. You know, like I don't know that I don't think the Dalai Lama would say he reached it and he cracked it, right? So I don't know. Maybe they would, but I'd I'd probably go right for that kind of stuff, like super deep, super fast.
0: Before we end this conversation, um, you know, you were Fred Rogers' neighbor. You've studied Fred Rogers. How do you think he would respond to these cynical times? This cesspool of social media? Just best guess
1: boy it's a great question i mean and i, I it's that you know um I, I don't know if you're playing along if you know this but i work in social media now so i don't know that like to me and i have this conversation on the regular like it, to me it's a it's, there's a mirror dynamic like i'm not i mean there's potentially a dynamic between platforms and people but i i also think like at the end of the day like people are driving these things right so what's what's this um I mean, especially on a day like today, like what's the vitriol about? What's the polarization about? What's the? Why are we finding less in common than more? And I, I, I guess I, I'm I, I'm I don't want to cop out any man, but I, I, I wish he was here to answer that. Yeah. I mean, I I called my dad on the way home from the subway, and I was like, Dad, how do I make sense of today? Like yeah. literally, how do I make sense of the news of today? And um, I don't I don't know, except I don't. You know, it's a little like like I said in the movie like I don't know for me personally if I can make singular dramatic massive seismic uh impact but what I can do is when I bump into someone on the street tomorrow by accident say oh I'm really sorry man excuse me or when I'm walking in the door at the office hold it for somebody and say after you or when I like literally walked out with the you know the postman is God bless her dumping 7 million boxes with our doorman and to say, Hey, thanks so much. I mean, so like, right, like all those increments, um, and, of, of little gestures of kindness is kind of all I know how to do. And to, and to keep having conversations like this one where you hope that, um, enough people are as interested in you are as trying to figure out what connects us versus what makes us different. Cause I think a lot more connects us than makes us different. I mean, the idea that like tomorrow we can be an iota, uh, more thoughtful, kinder, warmer, more authentic, more open, um, you know, more, more uh, engaged with each other. That's, that's, that's a pretty good thing to reach for. And it's pretty doable. You know,
0: let's end this podcast with some words from Mr. Rogers, other than deep and simple. What's your favorite Mr. Rogers quote?
1: Oh, sure. That's easy. Um, it's the one that opens the film. Um, there's something of yourself that you leave in every meeting with another person. And I, I just think it, it's just true. Right. Um, I mean, the reason we open the with is because who would have known, um, that I would meet this guy on, you know, the back porch way out in this little island in the middle of the Atlantic who would have thought I'd be talking about it 17 years later. Um, but moreover, who would have thought it about you and me and yeah. your, you and me and your wife or, right? Like the idea that, or me and the postman or me and the, you know, woman, Jenny, who's at the front door of my office every morning, you know, like that I took the time to know her name and like, how was your weekend? Like all that stuff, right? Like the, the humanity that connects us, um, there's something, um, of yourself that you leave another person. And if, if, if all that we leave is like, Hey, like I see you. Yeah, I hear you. That's so you're, you're human. You matter to me, as opposed to like I live in New York, where people wear sunglasses, hats, noise canceling headphones. Nobody makes <laughs> eye contact. You're like, you guys, there's ten million of us within like twenty square miles. Like, we're gonna bump into each other. How about a little like, what's up? You know? Yeah, for uh, sure. There's more than connects us, and then separates us.
0: That's awesome, man. I think that's a great place to end. Um, is there anything I haven't brought up that you want our listeners to know about?
1: No, man, I'm, I'm grateful for the time. I'm grateful for your interest, in, um, um, and uh, thanks.
0: No, I love your story, Benjamin. What's next for you?
1: <laughs> well, but what's next for me is um, I'm going to work half a day tomorrow, and then I'm going to <laughs> the studio to work on, to start recording my next record. Um, and it's not a dissimilar story from making the movie where um, – A friend of mine said, "What's going on with your music?" And I just my soul didn't feel nourished, so I finished a couple of songs, and I'm going to go bang out a new EP, a new LP. I mean, I I just think it's important to you got to keep you know stretching and keep reaching and keep trying to crack it, and um, that's that's what I'm doing. I'm just trying to keep cracking it. Chris and I have um, my brother and I have a film company and Wagner Brothers, and um, we have a teensy weensy amount of money in the savings and. We keep talking about ideas, but we haven't decided. We haven't decided what we're going to do
0: next. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for your time. Where can Video Land find you?
1: Uh, MrRogersandMe.com, um, Facebook.com slash Me, which is probably where the most recent stuff is.
0: Excellent. You can find us on AdventuresInVideoLand.com. We are all over the place. So until next time, my good people, peace out.